0: you will love him later, um, but that's why we, we're trying to just let our immediate family hold him. They said that's very important because he can kind of learn um, who's who, but, but again, thank you for being such a great church family. Um, we are just so grateful to you, and uh, you probably thought today that I was going to shamelessly show you slides of the trip and you know, do stuff like that, but well, <laughs> here we are at the Great Wall, Buckle up, kids. It's going to be good. We, that's about—that's a little part of the way up the Great Wall. We flew into Beijing. Um, they, the agency works this out where we flew into Beijing. They give you a couple of days to acclimate to the time change. So we got there at late night, Friday night, Saturday morning. We are off sightseeing all day long. And I've never, I mean, you, there's things that you want to see, but I'm like, please let me find a bed quickly. But they do that so that you can get used to being um, uh, you know, used to the time change. So you can go to the next one. That's the Great Wall. Taylor and I made it up most of the way. That's the Forbidden City. And as you can see with the people, it's not very forbidden anymore. Um, huge place. Um, one of the, you know, the emperors would live there and uh, it was private. And uh, so we got to see the Forbidden City and lots and lots of people there. The guy, the bald head, he was on our travel group. We had, there were four other couples that we were with adopting children that we got to meet and be with, wonderful people. Um, Think about them, pray for them. They're going kind of through the same thing that we're going. You can go to the next one. This is the summer palace. There in the background, you can see is the last empress um, of the Xing dynasty. That was her tiny little summer home. And all around that lake are just like different Living quarters for guards and stuff, that place was huge. Um, but yeah, that was her, her little getaway, a little summer getaway. So we're, we got to see the uh summer palace. Go ahead and go to the next one. Little Chinese food, yes, we did see the Coca Cola that's in Chinese and all the bottled water. We were told not to drink the tap water, so we all got bottled water. Um, found I, I got a little lesson in humility because our guide there. Um, we had two guides, Sally and, uh, and Cece, and uh, Sally looked at Taylor doing his chopsticks and said he's, he's a professional, that he's doing it really well, you know, and I was able to eat with him and, you know, and I'm like holding them a different way and I'm like, well, you know, she's calling him a pro. I should at least be a veteran, right? I go, well, how's this? And, and Sally starts laughing at me. She goes, you like baby. You like a baby. So I eat chopsticks like a baby. So, uh, but we had some authentic Chinese food, and uh, that was good. This is uh, interesting. We were supposed to fly in from Beijing to Guangzhou. That's where we did fly in there. But we were supposed to go to the hotel, get settled in before we got Judah. This is called Gotcha Day. It's the day that you get your children, and. Uh, We got there, and it took us a while to get through the airport. We're on our way to the hotel, and at first she said, you know, we can go to the hotel. You can get, you know, and so we just kind of wanted to regroup. You just flew, like three hours. Um, And so we get there. She's on the phone. uh, our uh, our, Wincy is our uh, Guangzhou guide, and she hangs up, and she says, no time to go to the hotel. We're going to get your kids right now. So we had this van loaded, there was another couple that was with us. Their child is from the same orphanage as Judah. And literally we were on our way to and I mean, you know, you're just you're thinking one thing and then it's all of a sudden is this this is happening. So we went to a civil affairs office, you can go to the next one. That was on the way to the civil affairs. I took a picture. There's Judah on Gotcha Day. Yes, that's the right response. Um, it's interesting because I wanted to show a little bit of that was him for the first couple of days. He was shell shocked. You know, um, some kids they tell you that you know the uh, it can be all kinds of different emotional experiences that they have. They can scream and cry for days on end, which I'm thankful he did not. Um, they can instantly attach and bond to you, or they can kind of go into this. And he was just shell shocked. He just had no clue. Uh, what, what was going on. And uh, you know, he had no idea that you know, we're here to bring him into our family and a loving home. He had no concept of what was happening to him. It was just, you know, four white people running at you, you know, and uh, and it's like, you know, what is going on here? You can go to the next one. So um, that's, you know, him in the the van. So a little bit similar to that whole thing, he was just shocked. As you can see, he's with Athena, and he attached to her instantly. Um, he's around uh, his, in the orphanage, he, uh, he's around women most of the time. And uh, so he attached to Athena and then Tori very quickly. Um, interestingly, um, when he did not connect with me, that's a hard thing. Um. You know, you, you, you want him to know that you love him. You know, you're just like, I, I, I want to protect you. I want to take care of you. I want to love you. And, uh, and, and, and he just was not having much of that. I did hold him a little bit, but he was going back to Athena. And, and so he didn't connect with me right away, but I desperately wanted him to know. And it's like, how do you communicate that? How do you show him? How do you? And I knew it was going to be a process, and it was going to be over time. He's warming up to myself and Taylor more and more, but I wanted him to know I loved him and I would take care of him. And, 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 but I had to give grace and give him room. And, you know, I was thinking about that because there's lots of things that I feel like the Lord kind of spoke to my heart on this trip, but that, that one of the things is a spiritual lesson there is, that, you know, God is in pursuit of people. He loves people. And when we want to show people the love of Christ, and, you know, and they don't get it right away. They don't just open their arms and say, you've, you know, you've given me the greatest message that you could have ever given me, and wow, this changes my life. This changes everything. You know, we have to give them grace. We have to give the lost grace. And just like you know, we're wanting to, I, I'm like, you know, I want to adopt you. I want to give you my name. That Jesus is saying, I I want to adopt you into my family. I want to give you my name. I want you to be a part of my family. I want you to know that. But we have no idea what people have gone through and what they've lived through. And this helps us as the church to be able to give people grace. You know, we don't know what he's been through the last two years. Um, You know, he finally, the first night that we had him, he fell asleep. and, And this was just so heartbreaking but he wakes up and he looks at Athena and he looks at me and he just burst into tears and he just cried and cried and cried to say like, you know I woke up and I was hoping this was just a bad dream but now I'm in bed with this white guy and this white lady and what are you guys doing to me you know and, and, uh, and, 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 and he was just just terrified and you wanted to console him and Tell him everything was gonna be okay and, 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 and you know, none of that makes sense. It's just take me back to where I belong. It's kind of a new belonging. And if that's my heart for him and I'm, you know, the Bible says if you being evil, if you being evil know how to love and know how to express that, how much more does the Heavenly Father love people? How much more Does he care about people that are all around us that don't know him? And so we have to give them grace. They don't have a clue sometimes. We don't know what they've been through. We don't know their story. And so we have to be able to say, God, give me grace with them. As Doug said, you know, that they're not finished yet. We need to see them with the eyes of of the Lord. So now he's warming up to us a little bit more. He's... uh, likes to see the entire house more than once up and down the stairs. Let's go up there and he's getting this and this pretty good. Nope, don't he gets that a little confused. Uh we now this means no now. So um yes, I would not like that. Um and so he's acclimating, he he's playing and giggling and uh and, and, and we're we're just having lots of fun. Some of it's just being a two-year-old and learning and learning a new routine and, and, and so, but things are, are, are going pretty well. And uh, so we can go to the next slide. There's a little bit happier. That's the day that we had our um, civil affairs appointment where you have an interview with what they call a notary. Here, you know, a notary, they, you know, they sign that you have signed off on something. There, a notary is like a Supreme Court justice in that province. And so this guy interviewed us, asked us questions, and he signs off on the official adoption. And I know some of you, the guys that are on Facebook, you're like, this is so last week. Show us something (laughs) new, please. I understand that. But for you guys that don't have Facebook, this is all new. Um, But that's the official day that he became ours. And so um, they signed off on the paperwork and we got the picture and he's kind of smiling and uh, we're thrilled. And so you can go to the next one. Now everybody's, you know, he's he's kind of warming up to us. There's big brother. He and he and Taylor are having a blast together, and he thinks Taylor is a big toy, and uh, and so so that they're having a lot of fun. Go to the next one. That's at breakfast at the hotel that we were at. Definitely attached to mom, uh, very very much. So uh, there, he loves mommy. It's good good choice. He's got good taste. Um, that's my self-portrait. He's smiling, I hurry up and took it. Yes, we're happy, let's do it. Um, so, But we're having fun now and uh, he, will, he will come to me and, and he's warming up again. So it's, we're having a lot of fun the next one. And there's Tori with Judah. Hair's kind of cool, little faux hawk. He loves to do his hair. I mean, you know, I mean, he does that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> He doesn't mind his hair being styled, so we, we were having some fun. So go to the next one. And then it's not a family shot. Yeah, we were down at a place, kind of a historical place in Guangzhou, and a little street area there that's very famous. And so uh, there are all the smiles. So we're, we're having a lot of fun. Go ahead. There we are on the Great Wall. No, now we're done. <laughs> so that's some pictures from the trip. Um, If you'd like to see more, I've got a lot, so you can come over to our house and I can just show you a slideshow, you know, and, and here we are and you guys can fall asleep on our couch. You can turn that off, yeah, I'm done. But I just wanted to share this morning, we can have the lights back up and kind of shared with you a little bit, but some things that I felt like God revealed through this trip few things I'd like to share with you, and uh, I, I feel like that are encouraging, challenging to us as the church. But the first one is this, and I kind of you know, touched in on it a minute ago, but God really does love every single person on planet earth, and every single life matters to him. I mean, I learned that, obviously, through the adoption process of getting Judah, pursuing him. You know, when a year ago, when we were in this process, and we were just beginning the process that, you know, he had no idea, but we were in pursuit of this child. At that time, a year ago, we didn't even know who he was, but in April, we got that referral, and and it's, and it's just amazing how God, you know, selected him, and, 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 and he was the referral to us, and And it just kind of made me aware that God really does love every human being on planet Earth and every life matters to him. And that God is also in pursuit of us. He's also in pursuit of your friends, your loved ones that you've been praying for, your family, your neighbors. While in China, I I was overwhelmed at the amount of people that are there. We fly fly into Beijing, a city of 19 million. Million, 19 million. We drove for an hour in Beijing, and you're still in Beijing. You get up on the Great Wall, and you see Beijing, and it's as far from, you know, to left to the right as you can. It's a city everywhere, all these people. Traffic was um, unbelievable. You're talking about making you pray? Oh, my goodness. They have organized chaos. We thought that there would be fender benders all over the place the way they drive, but it's kind of like they they know what each other is doing. I figured out that if you're in front, you have the (laughs) right-of-way. And they switch lanes like this. You know how we switch lanes? Blinker, mirror, mirror, like this. Here's how they switch lanes. That's it. And if you're behind them on the other side, you either break or get over because they're in front of you and, oh, I mean, and there are bikes, there's... People with delivery things, and they have boxes with little kids perched up on top of the box, and they're weaving in and out of traffic. And, and I mean, like, I mean, we 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 kind of we kind of get a little like anxious going across Highway Seven on the bike trail. <laughs> and the traffic is just uh, and uh, people everywhere. You know, then we fly down to Guangzhou. You know, and it was a step down the little bitty city of ten million, something like Wilmer DeMone. <laughs> On a scale, maybe. And you see all of these people. And you and, and I mean people everywhere. We go into these, you know, the marketplaces, or you know, you saw the Forbidden City, or and you're just if you don't like crowds, don't go to China. <laughs> I mean, people are everywhere. You're just you're just running into people and you see all these faces. And then this thought of God, how do you keep track of all those people? I mean, I know the Bible, what the Bible says, that you love people. And how do you keep track of them? All of those people. But he cares for every single one of them. And so how does he keep them on his heart? I want to look at Psalm 147, 1 through 5. Praise the Lord, how good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise him. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. That's good news. That's a good news psalm. Then verse four, he determines the number of stars and he calls them each by name. You know, as science progresses, they're finding that you know, there's an endless number of stars. They can't even hardly, eat. they think that they've got a, you know, a cap on around the number of stars and then they, you know, science gets a little more advanced and the telescopes and they are, it is just overwhelming how many stars are out there. And we serve a God that says, yeah, I number them and name them all. Yeah, I got that covered. And then in verse five of Psalm 147, it says this, great is the Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. His understanding has no limit. He can number stars and name them. It's nothing to him. And if he does that with stars, I think that 19 million people in Beijing is not a problem for him at all. And He cares about everyone, and he knows them by name. And that's applicable not just to China. That's applicable to here. He knows you by name. He cares about you. His understanding has no limitations. He knows your frame. He knows your form, and he loves you, and he cares about you. He even cares about the pain that you've been through. He cares about what you've endured. He cares about your past. He cares about you now, and he cares about your future. He's intimately acquainted with you. Then Jesus, as we look in the New Testament, Luke 12, he's encouraging his followers. He's got his disciples around, and he's saying... You know, don't fear man who can just kill the body. Because you know he, he was kind of, I think, giving them somewhat of a, a prep of what was coming because they were going to endure persecution. All of them but John died a martyr's death because of their faith in Jesus Christ, because of the gospel. And so he's telling them, he says, Don't, don't fear man who can just kill the body, but have a healthy fear of God. Because he can judge you both physically and eternally. Then he says this, very interestingly, because he's saying, don't fear man, but fear God. He says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. That God knows when birds die. He knows when birds live. He knows when they're hatched. He, he, he understands all that because of the psalm, that his understanding has no limitations. Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, and then he says this, indeed the very hairs of your head are all numbered. If he takes the time to number the hairs on your head, knowing you is not a problem for him. And then Jesus ends that thought by saying, don't be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. And if he keeps track of all the sparrows, he's keeping you in mind and His heart, and he's keeping track of you. And so these passages aren't just ambiguous and soothing ideas from Jesus to kind of pat us on the back and say, you know, I'm trying to give you a little bit of peace here, and it's not really true. They are intended to reveal his deep, intense love and care for every person. That's why Jesus, that God so loved the world that He gave His Son, the entire world. He didn't just select a few people to love. That verse is all inclusive, for God loved the world, and we can all quote that. Our wear T-shirts or remember the guy back in the seventies, eighties that wore the you know rainbow Afro wig and held up John three sixteen. Remember that guy? And we, everybody was saw this passage, but this is one of the most profound passages ever, and we can take it for granted, but Jesus was saying there's no limitations to the love of God. He loves everyone. God loved the world that he gave his son. So that was the first kind of revelation, that God loves every person. Every person matters to him. Secondly, is this, that God reminded me that we need to be on mission with him every day. We are called to be missional people. That doesn't mean you're a full-time missionary like that, you know, as far as your job, but every day we are to be missional. As long as we're alive and belong to the Lord, we have a mission to accomplish. And when you look and you see the overwhelming amounts, like the numbers of people that I saw, or you know, you heard me if you were here earlier, and this is Orphan Sunday, and you think about 160 million plus orphans across the world, or you hear the numbers of 27 million plus people that are caught in human trafficking, and those numbers can just seem like you know stones that are just covering you up and overwhelming, but. We hear that, and and, and the response of the church, we have to say, we're on mission with Jesus. Let it be something that points us to the importance of having his heartbeat and understanding that we're on mission as long as we're alive, and not forget that, and not get caught up into the petty, silly things that we get so concerned about in the church, but to remember that there is a lost and dying and hurt and broken world that we're on mission with Jesus to save. As long as we're alive, we have a mission to accomplish. Jesus says this in John 4, and these are not new passages to you, but they're reminders. Jesus says this. He said, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. Wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people. The harvest is people. And it's not just for China. It's outside of these walls. It's at your workplace, at your school. Take that very seriously. the people that you come in contact with. The harvest is people. The church exists for people. The church doesn't exist for us. It does not exist for us. This is not my church. This is not your church. This is the church of the Lord Jesus. It's a living organism that is made to live and thrive and be on mission with him. Jesus says, wake up and look around. Why does he tell us that? It's because we are prone to fall asleep. We're prone to look at the wrong things. We're prone to wander and focus on the wrong things and make the wrong things our focus instead of what he's saying. And then he has to shake us out of our stupor and say, wake up and look around. The harvest is people. And then he says, what joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. There's nothing like people coming to know Christ. And then after he had ministered to Zacchaeus and he brought Zacchaeus into the kingdom of God he makes that very famous quote that we all like to quote he said the son of man came to seek and save the lost and he had gone to Zacchaeus' home where the Pharisees were very unhappy that he would go to this tax collector's house and have dinner with him and he says the son of man this is why I came to seek and save the lost the harvest is people wake up and look It's very easy for us to forget what we've been called to do. But our part that we play, each one of us has a role. And it's to reveal Christ to others by loving, serving, giving, sacrificing. Loving, serving, giving, and sacrificing. What was Jesus doing in the Gospels? Loving, serving, giving, and sacrificing. That's what he did. That's why it came. And so I'm, I'm just, I want to encourage you, you don't have to go to China to see it. Wake up and look around when you, when you go about your day today, when you wake up tomorrow, wake up and look around and let's get our eyes off of ourselves and let's see what he sees. Third revelation, kind of third thing that I want to share this morning is to, to remind us that we are kingdom people when we belong to Christ. We are kingdom people. What does that mean? In that whole fan-followers thing that I was doing, this is kind of a follow-up to that, but followers of Jesus are kingdom-minded, fans are earthly-minded. And it kind of ties in with the other one, but, but we, are, we are called to be kingdom-minded, not earthly-minded. And so what do I mean? It, it, it's a temptation for all of us to live only for this life that this life is all there is to it that that when you know this life is over it's 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 you know we kind of cease to exist and even in even in christian circles even people of faith we believe in heaven, and we, you know, and we understand that God made promises and stuff. But it kind of can seem so. Well, you know, I can't see it. I don't. It, it's a faith walk, and so it's so easy to just get focused on this earth. And I know that it's easy to slide into that way of thinking, being that is, it's right in front of us all the time. We live life. We are. We have to live this, live this life. We aren't just to forsake this earthly life in that we should cut ourselves off from society. We live this life. We work. We go to school. We have relationships, and all of those things are good gifts from God. And so we don't forsake it by cutting ourselves off, but we shouldn't live as if this life is all there is to our lives. And we also have to understand that in this life, we are a part of a different kingdom. We are a part of a, separate, a different set of thinking, a different type of thinking. And it's so easy for us to think like the world thinks. And I think at times we put way too much stock and trust in this life and forget that we are citizens of his kingdom. That's why Jesus spent so much time teaching on the kingdom to remind us what we were created for. And then over and over, and, you know, in Matthew especially, he, it's kind of the kingdom gospel. And he says, you remember, you know, those stories, the kingdom of God is like this, and the kingdom of God is like this, and the kingdom of God is like this. One, he says, the kingdom of God is like a, it's a, it's like a treasure. When people find it, 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 it changes everything. They would, they'd sell everything to, to, to have the kingdom. It's precious. It's, it's a treasure. One of the other things he wanted to really instill in us is that the kingdom of God is eternal. It doesn't just end. The kingdom of God is eternal. One of the things he says is the kingdom of God is within you. Live for the kingdom. Remind yourselves that you're kingdom people, that the way you see things is seeing from the lens of the kingdom. And it's very easy again for us, even being religious or being f- people of faith. That's why Jesus challenged the status quo of the day of the Pharisees. It was them; these were the religious people of the day. We think sometimes I think we think the Pharisees were these wicked, evildoers that hated God. They were the church people. They knew the law. You didn't become a Pharisee without memorizing the first five books of our Old Testament. The Torah. These were church people, very spiritual. And so Jesus challenged them. And it's easy for us to slide into being very religious and seeing things from a religious point of view. And Jesus was saying, that's not kingdom-minded. That's why they rejected Jesus you would think that the Pharisees above all would have looked at him and said, we've studied the the, the Torah, we've studied the prophecies of Messiah, here he is. It's obvious, There, there he is. They missed him entirely. Because he was operating in a different kingdom mindset, and they were operating in a religious kingdom mindset, and they missed him entirely. He displayed his greatness by coming in humility. He came and his richness was to choose to be poor. For our sakes, he became poor, Scripture says. And they missed him entirely. The challenge for us as, as, as Christians, as as, as Spiritual faith people is to say that let's not miss him and his kingdom. Matthew 9, this is a perfect example. Listen to this. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, who was Matthew? Ended up being one of his followers, but a tax collector, very frowned on. Who, is, who frowned upon him? Church people. The church people despised tax collectors, and so Jesus is having dinner at Matthew's house. I want you to get that image in your mind. Where do we find Jesus Christ in the Gospels? Where do we find him? What, how do we find him functioning as a part of his kingdom? He ushered in the kingdom. He taught about the kingdom. Now he is displaying the kingdom, and he's, he's given us this example. Where do we find him? Having relationship? with broken people, with lost people, with tax collectors, sometimes with prostitutes. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Many who? Tax collectors and sinners. That's where we find Jesus. When the Pharisees saw this, not evil, wicked, God-haters, when church people saw this, that's a little more sting when I say it that way. It's intended to be that way because it stings me every time I read it. When the church people saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Their kingdom versus his kingdom. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And he says something very profound. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Go and learn what this means. You know what he's saying to the... He he understood the church people because they were students. They were studiers. they They had a lot of head knowledge. And what he's saying is, go meditate on this for a while. When you have your quiet time tomorrow... Think about this. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy. This is why I came. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Because I have come to call, not to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners. And he's sitting there with people, tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, the downcast of society, the hurting, the broken... Isn't it interesting why those people were drawn to him? Why they would come and you would think that, you know, wow, well, you know, did he condone their lifestyle? No, he didn't. But he loved them intensely. And they knew that there was authentic love being displayed there, so they wanted to hear from him. So shouldn't it be if we are Christ's followers that the law should be drawn to us? question. If we're kingdom people, we should see things differently than the world sees them. And this is a great prayer that we need to ask to see with his eyes, with kingdom eyes. Because in the kingdom, if you want to be first, you be last. If you want to be great, be the least. If you want to be a teacher, be a student. If you want to be in charge, be a servant. That's how Jesus taught. This is the way he did it. But where do we find ourselves? If you want to be first, you push yourself to the front of the line. You promote yourself. I'm not saying that you never do that kind of stuff, but I'm saying in, as far as it's concerned with the kingdom, if you want to be great, we don't think be the least. If you want to be a teacher, be a student, if you want to be, he said, if you want to, if you want to be great, be humble, and yet pride is so prevalent among us. It's in my heart. I deal with it. That's why Jesus said, you're going to constantly need to remind yourself of this over and over. Colossians 3, 1, through 1 and 2, I love this passage. And Paul, Paul is reiterating, and he's kind of grabbing hold of the kingdom mindset, and he's writing these letters to these churches. And he says, this, since then, you've been raised with Christ In other words, you're a believer, you're a follower of Jesus. If you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. So these passages are reminders that we should respond different than the world. We should fight differently than the world. We should react differently differently than the world. We should act differently than the world. The disciples were some of my favorite people because I I find comedy in them every time I read. And I laugh at them because, you know what, I see myself there. And then I'm relieved because if they qualify, that means I do. And in Luke chapter 9, we see this on display again. And over and over, and you guys have heard me laugh about it and, and, and talk about it, but the disciples, they, they had a hard time getting the kingdom mindset. That's why we have to be reminded of it every day. I don't think that we just get there and we go, okay, I fully am aware. I never, I'm never going to struggle with this ever again. I'm, I'm completely kingdom-minded. Forget that. That's why we need Jesus and we need to walk in relationship. And God, help me. Remind me. Remind me, Jesus, what it means to be a servant. You know, one time he's talking about dying on the cross. I'm going to die. And under that breath, they're in the back arguing over who's the greatest in his kingdom among them. So who do you think's the greatest? Yeah, I know he just said he's going to die. Can you imagine somebody's bearing their heart with you, you know, and they're like, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to die. I mean, it's I'm going to die. Well, who's going to get your stuff? Can I have the house? I'm pretty great, aren't I? I'm your greatest friend. And so he's kind of being vulnerable with them. I'm going to die. I'm going to go to the cross. And like, who do you guys think the greatest is among us? I mean, I know there's Jesus. That's given. I, th- I think I'm right underneath him. You know, and then he would pull, you know, children in the midst of him and teach them about the kingdom, about greatness. And he says, you know, unless, unless you... Unless you receive the kingdom like one of these, you're not going to enter it. And he's trying to remind them. And then another time in Luke 9, and I've talked about this recently, but they were sent out, you know, and they, these guys were sent out to preach and teach the good news of the kingdom. And James and John, who are the sons of thunder, that's their nicknames the sons of thunder which I love that they are the ones that asked their mom to ask Jesus if they could sit on his right and his left in the kingdom. That's you can't write this stuff. That's comedy. I mean, that's good stuff. Sons of thunder, mommy. And so they come back and they've been their message was rejected where they were. And they and they asked this question of Jesus and they're they're thinking, you know, this is a this is a son of thunder moment. Jesus. Should we call fire down from heaven to consume them? They've rejected us. And it says this, Jesus rebuked them sharply. He said, Where, where's your heart at? What have I been teaching you guys? That's when he said, you have little faith. How, you know, we've been together three years. What do, you, I mean, do, do you guys get it? And they, no, we don't get it. We're, we're eggheads. You know? We don't get it. And I look at my own life and I'm an egghead too. I need to be reminded of this. Should we call down fire from heaven because they're not like us. They're Samaritans. They're despised. And Jesus says, what are you doing? I love those people. You're fighting like the world, guys. You're, you're, You're looking at this from the lens of the kingdom of the earth, not the kingdom of God. But we can be that way sometimes. So I want to close with a few thoughts. Pray, and then I'll let you go home. Unless you want to do a slideshow afterwards, we can sit around and watch our slides from China. But I want to encourage and remind you of these three things again before we leave today. But number one is this. God loves you and every person on planet Earth. If he can number the na- and name the stars, he knows you. If he knows how many hairs are on your head, which seems like a trivial thing, he knows your innermost thoughts and your emotions. He knows your pain, your hurt, your frustration. He knows your strengths, your weaknesses. He knows what makes you sad and happy. He knows you. I want to encourage you to see yourself through that lens, but also see others through that lens as well. Especially people that are hard to love. Especially people that you think, God, pour down fire upon them. That you would see them with God's love. Second, you and I are on mission with Jesus every day. We are a part of the church that is an organism that is not about us. The church is not yours, it's not mine. The church belongs to him. As he tarries and, and we, I, whenever his return, I don't know. But you know, this building won't be here eventually. All this stuff won't be here. It's stuff. It's not kingdom. And none of us will be here if it goes on long enough. But wake up spiritually every day and see the harvest around you. Don't be self-focused, but be Jesus-focused first and then others-focused. Thirdly, be reminded that if you belong to Jesus, you are of his kingdom and you're not of the earthly kingdom. Don't respond like, like, we, like we can, an earthly mindset. We live here, but we are to respond in a different spirit. We need to pray every day that he would set us that he would help us set our hearts and our minds on things above and not on earthly things. We, gotta, we need that every day. So we need to be reminded of all this. And also, as we look at the election this week, I want to have some thoughts on that as we close. Because I wanted to do set up and talk about that, but I want to talk a little bit about the election. Number one, we live in an amazing country. After having been in China, it was a wonderful experience. Loved being there. It was, it was very, very neat. But I, I, love the, I love this country. I love the freedoms that we have. I love that we can come here freely and do this. Our, uh, our guide in China, our, our first guide in Beijing, she asked me what I did. I said I was a pastor. And she smiled and she said, I've never met a pastor. So that's the spiritual climate there. 19 million people in that city. But we live in an amazing country and we have a privilege that we're not under a dictatorship. We get to vote. It's, it's, It's how we appoint our leaders. It's why our forefathers said it's the government of the people, for the people. And so as believers, though, what is our response We should be a part of the process. We should vote. But we should vote kingdom-minded, not just earthly-minded. How should we vote? Number one is this, vote prayerfully. Vote prayerfully. I encourage you to pray for our nation. Pray for our leaders. I hope over the last four years, whether you agree or disagree with the president, that you've been regularly praying for him and his family and his administration because we're commanded in Scripture to be kingdom-minded, to pray for Him, to pray for Him, to intercede for Him. And so as you go into voting on Tuesday, vote prayerfully. Pray. Spend some time praying. I encourage you to turn off the news maybe for the next 24 hours. MSNBC, CNN, Fox News. Comedy Central, some of you guys know who exactly who I'm talking about there. But just turn it off. dial that down and say, "God, I want to hear from you. I want to meditate on you. What are you saying? I want to vote prayerfully. Next is vote biblically. As people of God, we should, we should live life with a biblical worldview. I mean you know, we've been talking about this stuff and, 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 and living kingdom-minded and living with a biblical worldview. What does the word say about issues? Seek it out. That's why I say sometimes we've got to dial down the noise because, you know what? There's junk on both sides. Whether you are on one side or the other, there's junk on both sides. And they're lobbing grenades at each other, and they slice and dice, and if you listen to it long enough, it'll frustrate you. And it's very easy for us to get in the fray. You know why I say that? Because I've been there. I know what that's like. But we have to get in a different mindset and say, God, what are you saying? What does the Word say about issues? Seek it out. Seek the Word. Seek God. Vote righteously. The psalmist said, righteousness exalts a nation. So vote righteously. Number two um, thought is this. Vote with your hopes in God and not on people. Vote with your hopes in God and not people. Our hope is in the Lord regardless of the outcome of the election. Can we say amen to that? Neither party is going to be our savior. Neither party has Jesus as its front runner. If they did, I would vote for them, by the way, just saying. But we do have a privilege that we get to vote and we get to let our voice be heard. So as believers, we, we do have a, we have a, a divine privilege and, and we need to be a part of the process. But we need to also understand that when we put our hopes on a person or a party, we have made a, a grave mistake. Our hope is in the name of the Lord. That's what the Bible says, our hope is in the name of the Lord. Because whoever is president, they're going to make mistakes. They're going to do things that you don't agree with. And so our hope is not in people. And here's here's something we just need to be reminded of. Jesus is the king. If we live part of a different kingdom, we serve the, the king of the kingdom, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the savior. He is the ruler. He is the ultimate authority. Nothing surprises him, shocks him, makes him go, I can't believe they did that. Nothing. He is completely certain of himself and his rule and his reign, and our hope is to be in him. Three, respond and react differently than the world. As the church, we must respond and react differently than the world. Because our desire as the church is that most of all, most of all, that people see the light and the love of Jesus and the freedom that's found in him. That's why we exist. That's what we want people to see. And I think Barry talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but I want to just reiterate something. And there were people that had concerns or, why didn't we put a sign out in the yard? Gone it. Where's the sign? Why no sign? Because a sign doesn't reveal my heart. It doesn't. And I like to. I like this phrase. And I'm thinking about doing some T-shirts or wristbands. But it's called "What Would Jesus Do?" Tell me what you guys think. WWJD? I think it'll be a hit. We could make millions. Marketing Jesus. But for real, I mean, and it is, to to borrow this cliche, but what would Jesus do? Jesus would build friendships and have relationship with people just like he did in the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 9, when the Pharisees, the church people, they see him, he's with Matthew and other sinners and they're around the table and Jesus is having a meal with them. And the Pharisees would say, I'd never have a meal with them. And Jesus says, exactly, and you'll never have an impact either. And you will draw a line, and you will be over there, and they'll be over there, and they're they're never, ever going to ever come near you. Jesus would build friendships. We've got to look at the Gospels. Now, if you're wondering where I stand, I've preached on where I stand. Athena and I did a whole series on marriage. It's very clear, but in that series, if you were here and you're sitting here, you get to hear my heart, and I think a sign does not reveal my heart, and I want people to hear the heart of Jesus. I want them to hear how much he loves them, how much he cares about them. And so we can agree to disagree on that. I love you. Please love me. Asking for your love that I, we didn't do this sign and, because I just feel like it's just a bit cold. Now, if, personally, at your house, I think whatever you want to do is fine. But I want people to see the light and the love of Jesus Christ. If we're as followers, we should do the same. And we need to understand, remember what he said when the Pharisees were so disgusted by him eating a meal with sinners. And he turns to them, he goes, go and learn what this means. And so I speak to all of us, go and learn what this means. When Jesus says this, I desire mercy. Go and learn what this means. I haven't call, come to call the righteous but sinners. And so he's saying to the church people, you're gonna, if you're looking for me, I will be having dinner with these people. I'll be at their houses. I will have them uh, a part of our group. They will eat meals together. You will see me sitting beside a well with a woman who has had all kinds of sexual and promiscuity issues that is unbelievable. Her life is an absolute wreck. You'll see me sitting by a well talking to her and having a relationship with her and revealing my heart to her. If you come and find me, you'll see me with this other lady who was caught right in the act of adultery by church people. And they drug her to Jesus and they said, the law of Moses says we stone her to death. What do you say, Jesus? And they didn't care about her. They were trying to trap him. And he said, all right, boys, I got an idea for you. If you have no sin in your heart, you don't deal with anything. You don't have anger issues, lust issues, greed problems. You don't have any of those issues, and you are above the law. You have no sin whatsoever. You pick up the stone, and you strike her first. And they dropped their rocks, and they went home because they had to examine their own hearts, and these are the church people. That's where we find Jesus. Does that mean that Jesus condoned what they did? No, he did not. That's why people were set free when they would come into and encounter him. Zacchaeus stopped being a thief. The woman at the well became converted and an evangelist of an entire city all in one day. Come and see this man who told me all about myself. And the whole city came out and it says, and they believed too. Number four is after the election results are in, pray for our leaders. If it's President Obama, pray for him. Lift him up. If it's President Romney, pray for him. Lift him up. I'm not going to give any of the other third party, sorry. I mean, this is like, uh, you know, go down the list. 1 Timothy 2. Listen what Paul says about this. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved. There's a little heartbeat of God there. And come to the knowledge of the truth, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind. That man is Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. What a, what a passage. Praying for the leaders in the gospel, all in the same paragraph. Be careful what comes out of our mouth toward people that we don't agree with. Pray for them. Lift them up. And if that wasn't challenging enough, Romans 13 says, every authority is ordained of God. And it's whether it's your candidate or the other candidate who you support or you, when you get up on Wednesday morning, God is not going to be having anxiety attacks. Marching around heaven going, dear God in heaven, oh, that's me. What am I going to do? He's very confident. He's very confident in who he is. And when we wake up on Wednesday morning, we have the opportunity to pray for our leaders once again and pray for them, pray for wisdom, pray for grace, pray for this nation every day. Be careful what comes out of our mouth. And so when I say that, you know, does this mean that we don't vote or we don't care? Absolutely not. Vote. But more than my vote... I want them to see Jesus. More than my vote on, a, on, a, on an amendment, you know what I want them to see? I want them to see me loving my wife like Christ loves the church. That's what I want them to see. I want them to see when they look at my marriage that they say, there's the mystery of Jesus. Not that I'm perfect, but how, I want to love my wife that way. More than my vote, I want them to see Jesus, and I want them to see the heart of the church, the heart of Christ, the light of Jesus. So we are called to follow him and to love like he loved, to serve like he served, to give like he gave, to sacrifice like he sacrificed, because we're from a different kingdom. Let's pray. I'm done. I went a little long, and I apologize. When preachers say that, they don't really mean it. So, um, sorry, I I really am. I tried to be sensitive to the time. I had a lot to talk about, as most preachers do. Can we say?